Well, golf is a game that many people say will make a pastor cuss, and I won't attest to whether that's true or not, but uh, I do love to play golf, and many times whenever I go out and I play, um, I get grouped with people that I don't know, and as we're talking um, and, and walking along the way, they'll ask you, you know, what is it that you do? And it's at that point in time that I think about, what is it that I do? I'm a pastor. Have I been living in a way that shows Christ to other people? Have I been quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, especially whenever I hit those errant shots? Have I been slow to anger? And then it comes to me, you know, that I'm going to tell them what it is that I do. Have I been living in that way? And it's not just for pastors to be living in a way that is above reproach. That's what we're all called to do as those who are Christians, as those who are in Christ, as those who are new creations in Christ. We're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that we are called to be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And so what does that mean? It means we are to live out the truths of God's word. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see that God saved us for the purpose of being a kind of first fruits among his creatures, which means we are to be examples to other. But how do we do that? Verses 19 through 25 are going to show us how we do this by knowing and applying God's word in our lives. Now let's begin by getting an overview or an outline of what we're going to look at this morning. And one of the things that we're going to see in our passage this morning is that we are to be quick to hear. And that means that we are to be attentive listeners, You know, so often in the world that we live in today, we see of putting the burden of of responsibility to the speaker to keep our attention, to keep us entertained. But we're going to see in this passage of Scripture that he puts it back on the listeners, that it is your responsibility to be quick to hear. And also, if you think about in the time that this was written, in the time that the apostles taught, that's what the people had to do. They had to be attentive listeners because they didn't have a Bible to follow along with. They didn't have slides to to be shown main points. And this morning, we don't have slides to show you the main points. So you've got to be attentive listeners this morning. You've You've got to listen to what is being taught. And the truth is, it's God's Word. It's alive and active. It never comes back void. It always accomplishes God's purpose. But we need to be attentive listeners. We need to be quick to hear God's word. So for an outline of our passage, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and we're going to get some background. And then we're going to be look at verses 19 through 21, and we're going to see that we're to be learning. We're to be quick to hear. We're to receive the word implanted. And then we're going to see that we're not just to be knowing the word of God, but that we are to actively live it out in our lives. We are called to be doers of God's word. So let's begin by getting some background before we get to our key passage. Look with me at James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. In verse 1, we see the author is James, and this is not James 
who was the disciple, the apostle of Jesus Christ, but this is James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And look at how he describes himself. He doesn't do it in, in a prideful manner saying, you know who I am. I am the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You need to listen to me. But he calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows humility. In verse 12, or in verse 1, we also see who he's writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. They're dispersed because of the persecution. If you go to Acts chapter 7, and, and you remember, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know, Jesus gives them, the disciples, a command to begin there in Jerusalem and go to all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the the book of Acts breaks down based off of that verse. And what do the, what do those disciples do? They're there in Jerusalem and they are, they are giving the word of God and they are sharing the gospel with many people and many people are being added to the number of the church day by day. And then in chapter seven, there's the stoning of Stephen. The persecution really kicks up. And uh, Stephen is put to death for his faith. And so many of those disciples and many believers spread out and they began to take the message. The book of James, most people believe, was written somewhere around 45 to 48 AD. Many believe it is the first book of the New Testament that was written. And um, so at this point in time, most of the believers were Jewish believers. Paul had not yet uh, gone out and started on his missionary journeys taking the message to the remotest part of the earth. So we've seen that James is the author and he's writing to these, to these Christians, to these Jewish believers. And James is really a how-to book of the Christian life. There are 54 commands in 108 verses. James begins by looking at trials and he gives one of the reasons for trials in verse four. He says that we go through them so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, so that we can mature and grow as we as we go through these trials. Well, how do we become mature? Verse five says is that we ask God for wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. How do we make it through these trials? How do I make wise decisions knowing what is the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do or what is the best thing to do? We get it by first going to God and asking him. But then whenever we ask him, we need to listen. We need to be quick to hear. We need to be attentive to his word. We've got to turn to his word and look at what it says so that we can know the answers of how to be wise. And wisdom is more than just knowing the word of God. It's applying it. It's living it out in our lives. It's taking what he tells us to do and living it out. And this is a summary of what the book, where the book goes and further explains passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Then in verse 12, he gives the results of a man who perseveres through the trials. And it says in verse 12, and that is, he will be blessed and rewarded with the crown of life. How do we get to that position? Look with me at the verse we're going to finish on this morning. Verse 25, it says, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. He goes from intently looking, learning the word of God, to abiding, living it out, 
living out the word of God. So that's what we are to do. We are to intently look at the word of God. As we pray that prayer, we intently look at the word of God and then we live it out in our lives. Then we'll be rewarded for the things that we do. So back to verse 13. And he says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone because temptation does what? It leads to sin, which leads to death. God is not the giver of death, but he is the giver of life. And so God can't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. He can't be tempted himself because not only does he give life, he is life. He is eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Look on down to verse 17. We see that he doesn't give death, but he gives life and he gives gifts. Look at verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. God gives us gifts. Whenever we believe in Jesus Christ, we get the gift of eternal life. He gives believers the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life, to go out and to be his witnesses in this lost and fallen world. He gives us spiritual gifts in order to serve within the body. He gives all people the gift of life. He is the creator of all people, and so he gives us life. But the greatest gift of all that is available to anyone is the gift of eternal life, and he gave that through his son, Jesus Christ. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son to do what? To die on the cross, to pay for our sin, to arise from the grave, to conquer death for all people. And that verse, John 3, 16, goes on to say that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a great gift that God has given, has made available to all people and to anyone who will believe in him, he gives the gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God gives us so many gifts, and we need to enjoy the gifts that he has given to us. Look on to verse 18, where he reminds these Jewish believers of the gift they were given and what they are to do in response to it. Verse 18 says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures where it says that he brought us forth. That literally means he gave us birth. And this ties with something we're going to see in verse 23 here in just a few minutes. How did God give us this new birth? It was by the word of truth. His word gives us the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is important for us. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it is important for us as believers not to just go out and to live like Christians, but to speak the truth of the gospel and to give people the gospel because how does one come, become a believer? It's through the word of truth. We have to speak the word to them. And so we heard the gospel. We believed and we were born again as new creations in Christ. But why did he give us this new birth? Look at what the verse goes on to say. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. What does that mean? That means we're to be examples of God's goodness. We're to be role models of what he can do in a life. 
You know, Romans 8, 29 says that we're to be conformed to the image of his son. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we are to do to be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So his first fruits. How are we to live as, as these first fruits? And that's what he begins to explain in verses 19 through 25. We are to take in his word by being hearers of the word, but we're not to stop there. We are also to be doers of the word. So let's see these two key things, learning the word of God and living it out in our lives. So with that in mind, how are we to live in trials, in tribulations, in temptations in our everyday life? We're going to see it in these following verses. It begins with learning the word. Look with me at verse 19 as it is a key in the book of James because it's an outline for the book of James. In chapters 1 and 2, we see that we're to be quick to hear. In chapter three, we're to be slow to speak. In chapters four and five, we're to be slow to anger. Verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This you know. He is telling these believers to take note, to listen up. This is something you know. This is something that should be common sense. This is something we should all know. And he calls them my beloved brethren. He's talking to believers. This is the third time so far he's mentioned that they are brethren. They are believers. Verse 2, verse 16, and again here in verse 19. Then he gives them three imperatives. Listen to what they are. The first one is to be quick to hear. Quick to hear what? We're to be quick to hear God's word. In verse 18, he reminded us that in God's word, it gave us the message by which we are saved, but we're not to leave his word there and live out the rest of our lives. His word is alive and active. It never comes back void. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So, it's profitable. It has influence on our lives. This had significant relevance, like I said earlier, to the believers at that time because they didn't have a Bible to take home and to study and to dig. So they had to, to be attentive listeners. And we have to be attentive listeners whenever we come in on Sunday mornings. You know, so many times we come in on Sunday mornings, we say, you know, man, that was a great message, and we walk out the door, and, um, you know, by the end of the week, we say, Ben, what was that message that was taught on Sunday morning? And uh, for many people, you know, they, they're like, uh, I, I don't remember. What was, what was the main point or two? Well, uh, I don't remember. We need to be attentive listeners. God's Word is alive and active. It is looking not just to be known by us, but also to change our lives. If we don't know it, how can it change our lives? You know, most of us are looking for a quick, quick word rather than being quick to hear. In church, we want to hurry along the message because I've got to get to lunch. I've got to get to a tea time. I've got a fishing hole waiting for me. Whatever it is, we just want the message to go by quick. In relationships, you know, whenever you come home and, and your wife wants to tell you about her day, you know, so many times we're like, yeah, 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 I understand, but let me get to my day. You know, and we want to be 
quick to speak. And that leads us to the, the second imperative, that we are to be slow to speak. So we're first to be quick to hear. We're to be attentive listeners, but then we're to be slow to speak. It has often been said that God has given us two ears and one mouth, which ought to remind us to listen much more than we speak. It has also been said that we cannot learn anything while we're talking. Slowness in speaking means we speak with humility and patience rather than with hasty words. Remember, he has been teaching about trials and temptations. One of the big temptations is to snap back, to say things that maybe we'll later regret. So what do we need to do? We need to do like Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Edification according to the need of the moment so to give grace to those who hear. We need to take time to think before we speak and speak words of edification, of building up. In Proverbs 10.19 it says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. In Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this leads to the third imperative, that we are to be slow to anger. When the trials come, anger is a common reaction. We want to blame others. Many times we even want to blame God. We have outbursts of anger many times. What does that do? It diminishes our testimony before others. Remember a few weeks ago when I taught on Sunday morning about Job, I said the world looks at Christians the closest whenever they're going through trials. They want to see how are we going to react. An outburst of anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. It does not show others what it's like to be Christ-like. And this is exactly what verse 20 goes on to say. In verse 20, it says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us to love our enemies and not to hate our brothers. When we become angry, we are not loving. When we become angry, we are actually showing that we are weak. Listen to this. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. You see, it takes a much bigger man to forgive and forget, just to move on, than it does for someone to blow up and to have an outburst of anger. He expands on this thought in verse 21 by giving a negative and a positive. Look with me at verse 21. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. The negative is putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. This includes outbursts of anger that he was just talking about. It includes all kinds of unclean behavior that lie outside the will of God. This remains of wickedness are those things that are left over from your former life before you died and rose again with Christ to a new life, before your new birth. It reminds me of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it says, lay aside anything that's slowing you down. Whether it's the good things in life that you can choose the better things, or whether it's the sin that so easily entangles us, we are to lay aside those things, and we are to focus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Strip away anything that's slowing us down and focus on Christ. Strip away all the filthiness and the wickedness and receive the word implanted. We are to allow the word of God to go into our lives and to change us from the inside out. 
Notice it tells us how we are to receive the word implanted and it is with humility. Many times our pride, our hardness and sin make us unresponsive to God's word. But if we come in humility, according to Psalm 25 verse nine, it guides us and teaches us. If we live our lives in filthiness and wickedness, it leads to discipline and even possibly physical death. But, we receiving, but by receiving the word implanted, it is able to save our lives. You see, the word used in that, in that verse there is psyche, which can be translated either life or soul. And life is the better translation there. Because remember, he's talking to believers. And so he's not talking about spiritual lives of them being saved and, and whether they're going to go to heaven or hell. But rather, he's talking about their physical lives. But it's not enough to receive the word implanted. It's not enough to learn the word. We must live it out in our lives. So first of all, we've seen that we're to be learning the word. We're to be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. And we are to receive the word implanted. But now we're going to move on. Now that we've received the word implanted, now that we've studied the word of God, we've been attentive listeners as we're taught on Sunday mornings, as we dig scripture on our own, now we need to live it out in our lives. Howard Hendricks, you know, they, he used to ask his class, what is the, the purpose of studying God's word? And they would often say, so that we can know it. But he would say, no, that is not correct. It's so that we can live it out in our lives, so that we can apply it to our lives. And so that's what James is telling these believers as well. Look with me at verse 22. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I like what J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, in this world that we live in, there are new translations of the Bible coming out all of the time. And any Christian can make a new translation that is easy for the world to understand. Now you might say, you don't know me. I'm not capable I'm not familiar with the original languages. I know nothing about handling the manuscripts. My friend, in spite of your limitations, which may be many, it is still possible for you to make the best translation of Scripture that has ever been made. Do you know what the name of that translation is? It is known as the doer's translation. We are to be doers of the work, word of God. Listen to this. This is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. People are watching our lives and they want to see what it's like to live like Christ. Many people today own a Bible, but do not take the time to read it. But let me tell you, they're reading you and they're reading me. Are we living in a way that shows that we are doers of the word? He goes on and says, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Sometimes people are deceived in that they know the word of God. They can recite scripture. They, can, they read it on a daily basis. They go to church on Sunday mornings and they are active listeners. So they think, I'm good enough. I'm listening to the word of God. I'm receiving the word of God. But 
Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing with it? Am I making application in my life? I know a lot of stuff, but they're only deceiving themselves if they're not putting the word into action. If you want to measure the effectiveness of your Bible study, do it by the effect that it has on you. Are you being changed by God's word? Oswald Chambers said it this way, one step forward in obedience is worth years of studying about it. You know, many people, they study the word of God and they they go to church all their lives. And then you ask them, you know, who is it that you're sharing the gospel with? Who is it that you're discipling? Well, I'm just not ready yet. You know, you've got to be ready. If you're receiving the word implanted, if you're digging it into your lives, then you need to be out there teaching people, discipling people. And whenever you disciple someone, that doesn't mean that you just teach them with words. You teach them in the actions and how you live out your lives as well. I love Philippians 4.9. It says, the things which you have learned and received, heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's not just come to a Bible study, let me teach you and you go on and, and live about your life, but let, let me show you what it means to live like Christ. I'm not just going to tell you in words, but I'm going to show you in action. And that's what James is telling these readers that they are to be doing. Well, in verses 23 through 25, he gives them an illustration to emphasize his point. In verse 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. In verse 23, where it says his natural face, a better translation might be the face of his birth. It goes back to verse 18, where he brought us forth which means he gave us birth. So we look back to our birth face. So he's speaking and looking in the mirror as seeing himself as a new creation in Christ. And notice it says a man, because what does a man usually do? He walks up to the mirror, he gives it a quick glance, good enough, walk out the door. But a woman, you know, many times they're going to stay there and they're going to look it all over and try to, try to fix the imperfections. But notice he says a man just glows up there and he glances and moves on. And what does the hearer of the word do? He walks away and forgets whom he is. He walks away and lives like who he used to be. He lives like one who has, put a, who has not put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. He lives like an unbeliever. But someone who looks intently, look at verse 25 and see what we're supposed to do. Verse 25, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. He looks intently at the word of God. It's like he stoops down and he wants to see what it is that's there. He wants a closer view of God's word. And that's what we're called to do. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, be diligent to present yourselves to approve to God or study to show yourselves approved to God. And so we are to get in there. We're to look intently. We are to not just give it a glancing look, but we are to dig the word of God. And look at what he calls it there. He calls it the law of liberty. That seems contradictory, doesn't it? Law 
and liberty. But remember what Christ said in John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my words, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The more time we spend with someone, the more we, we become like them and the more natural it becomes to be like them. And if we're in God's word and we're studying it and we're digging it and we're intently in it, we're abiding in Christ, then we're more naturally gonna become like him and we will naturally live out the word of God. It'll give us freedom in our lives. The law of liberty is the law of Christ. Love God and love others. Galatians 5 says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In this freedom that we're going to get from knowing God's word, it's going to allow us to, to love people better and to serve people better. It doesn't give us the freedom to go out and live any way that we want to. We're not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, we are to serve one another. We are to be changed by God and his word so that we'll be like him and we will love like him. Not a forgetful hearer, not someone who glances at the word and walks away and forgets who he is, what he's read, what he's like, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. This man will be blessed. He'll gain rewards because not only will, be, will he be more like Christ, but he'll be persevering through the trials of life. We are to spend enough time with God in his word so that it will affect our lives in such a way that we will be like him. So what have we seen this morning? In order to be blessed by God, in order to achieve the righteousness of God, in order to show us as a kind of first fruits among his creatures, we must persevere in the trials, not blaming God, but realizing he is the one who gave us our new birth, the one in whom gives us gifts, the one in whom we are to be quick to hear, but not just hear his word, but allow it to change us so that we are like those he created us to be. So for some applications for this passage, number one is I encourage you to memorize James 1.19 and James 1.22 because this, as we have God's word written in our hearts, we have it on our minds, it's gonna be so much easier to act it out in our lives. And in those verses, James 1.19, he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's something that I think all of us need to have on the forefront of our minds, especially when arguments and trials and tribulations come up. We are so quick to speak and to speak things that we later regret. So we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So that whenever we come in on Sunday morning, we're thinking about what can I learn today that I can take out there in that world with me today? What is it that can, can change my life? How can I be changed by the truth that I hear today? Whenever you go to your own personal Bible study, you look at it in a way and saying, God, how can this change my life? How can I be more like your word and how can I be more like you 
by what I'm learning. So memorize James 1.19 and James 1.22. Number two is let us be learning the Word of God. How do we learn the Word of God? By being active listeners. By being active listeners on Sunday mornings when you're here, by being active listeners whenever you go to God's Word and you dig it and you study it on your own. And then number three, let us be living the Word. Let us be living out the Word of God. Living out who we are in Christ as new creations. I found a little poem. It says, The gospel is written a chapter a day by deeds that you do and words that you say. Men, read what you say, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Are we showing others the gospel in the lives that we live? Are we speaking the gospel to other people? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We don't just need to speak it. We need to show it in our lives as well. Let's leave this place today changed by his word, being a doer's translation of the Bible so that others can look at us and see what it means to live out God's word, to see what it means to live like Christ to see what it means to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's leave this place and with the thought that Paul had, imitate me as I imitate Christ.